Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to begin reading at verse number 1, and uh, we're going to read down through verse uh, at least 17, verse 17, amen, hallelujah. Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 1, just going to talk about the Pentecostal church, Pentecost then and now. I'm glad today that I'm a part of something that's older than the denomination that I'm a part of. Amen. What I'm a part of didn't just spring up in the last hundred or two years. Amen. It is the church that God ordained and set in order. Amen. In the, from, from the Old Testament right on through, we're a part of that. The Pentecostal church, the only real church of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Let's look at verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of the unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. Verse 7 said, In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation, and ye shall do no servile work therein. Ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation, and ye shall do no servile work therein. Verse 9, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hen. Ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Verse 15, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And I want to stop right there. Talk to you this morning on the subject Pentecost, then and now. Pentecost, then and now. I'm not going to tell you anything new, probably that you don't already know. As I prayed about the service today, I just want to remind you and kind of build you up. Amen. And some things that, that you know, things that you believe are right. Just want to encourage you this morning. Some have waited, all of us have all year for this meeting, and I know I've looked forward to being challenged and looked forward to being built up in what I believe to be true, and I want to do that this morning. 
Amen. And just help you, give you something maybe to take home with you, with the Word of God. Would you just point your hand this way, and let's ask God to help us and touch us this morning. Now, Father, I love you today. God, I thank you, Lord, for every person here this morning that has gathered together, Lord, to hear from the Word of God. I pray this morning, God, that you'll grant me strength and wisdom and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and anoint our minds to apply this Word of God to our lives. I pray, God, that you'll give this Word free course among your people this morning. Build us up, strengthen us, O God, in what we believe to be true, and we'll just give you all the praise and the glory For it's in Jesus' wonderful name. Thank you for this camp meeting, for the speaker, Lord, and everything that is said. We'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And amen. You might be seated. As we look around us, as we look across the Pentecostal spectrum of our time, I think we can all of us agree that there was a time... When a man said he was Pentecostal, you were automatically identified with a certain group of people. Now, when you say you're Pentecostal, the next question that may come from someone around you is, what kind of Pentecostal are you? Are you a neo-Pentecostal charismatic? Are you a traditional Pentecostal? Are you a conservative or are you a liberal? When we know here today that there's only one Pentecost, that Pentecost being the Pentecost of the Bible, God ordained it. God set it in order, and God called us to be a Pentecostal people. That's the whole reason we're here. Brother Clendenin's preached it, and I know it so when he said, The message of Pentecost is God the Father through God the Holy Ghost displaying God the Son through a human vehicle of expression called the church. That church is a Pentecostal church. When I look at the Pentecostal church in the Word of God, I'm amazed. I look and I see how that the Lord, through the Old Testament, gave us many foreshadows and typologies that point directly to you and I and what we are and what we have become in Christ, a Pentecostal people in this earth, in the end time, expressing Jesus to a world that is lost. All through this Old Testament Bible, and you'll find the fulfillment in the New, you can find a Pentecostal church typed and founded in and upon Jesus Christ. All through the Old Testament, Jesus is one man spread through the Bible, and everything points directly to what you and I are here this uh, today. Amen. I'm glad that I can know that I'm a part of something that is ordained and set in order by God. It wasn't established by man. It didn't come into being uh, just because a denomination stood up over the last hundred years and adopted some creed or dogma. Amen. But what I am a part of is older than a denomination. It wasn't established by man. It was ordered and it was foreordained by God himself. That's why today I don't have to be intimidated to be Pentecostal and to say I'm Pentecostal. You and I don't have to be ashamed to stand up among the crowd and say we're Pentecostal. And when they ask us what kind of Pentecost are we, what school of thought do we subscribe to, we can point them right back to the Word of God and we can say I'm the Pentecost that God Almighty Himself ordained. Can you say amen? Hallelujah to God. When I look back in the Word of God, I'm a 
amazed at how meticulously God set up and God ordered this church. Now, every detail given by God has to be followed to the minutest detail because this church is set up and founded upon Jesus Christ. Everything in this Bible points to Christ and the church that we're a part of is founded upon Him and in Him. This is why there can be no variations. When we look around us now and we see all the different variations in Pentecost, it just says to me that there is a great deception that has come to the Pentecostal people of the last day. Any variation from what God has ordained as not Christ is not a part of this Pentecostal church. And you and I, as a people of God, don't have to be ashamed or afraid to stand up and say so. Can you say amen? There was a man come to my house the other day, walked in, sat down. He and I were having a good time of fellowship. And we began to talk about Pentecost. And we began to talk about all the variations of Pentecost today. And he said, I, I had turned to a particular religious program. And he said, I watched him. He said, I was amazed. And I asked my wife, can you find one person in there that, that you really believe? Of course, they, uh, you know, went through all the uh, charismatic things, phases, fads that are going on today that we just know is false. And he, he looked at me and he said, now, Brother Connor, I want you to answer me a question. Are, are you going to sit there and tell me that all of those people are deceived, that they're hellbound, that they're not rapture material? I said, well, I can tell you this. If it's not Christ, if it's not that that was founded on the Word of God, I said, I don't care how many of them come together. They might be sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no variations in this Pentecost that we preach and that we believe it's founded in and upon Christ. And when it varies from that, it's not Christ and it has no part with God. Can you say amen? When we look at how God set up and ordained this church, I'll just tell you what I want to talk about this morning. Pentecost prophesied, may not get to everything. Pentecost came, Pentecost here to stay, and Pentecost a religion on fire. Amen. But when we look at how God set this church up, we know that God set it up exactly like He meant it to be. So we have to follow the divine pattern that's already set in the Word of God. I do believe that if we depart from divine principles, then we are not a part of this church God ordained. When you sacrifice the divine for what's carnal or convenient, you lose the presence and the anointing of God. There's a lot of books written on Pentecost. A lot of formulas, these revivals that are so-called revivals springing up all across this country. Every time somebody has some kind of a move in a church, it seems like they write a book on it. But ladies and gentlemen, the greatest book I've ever found written on Pentecost is this Word of God. Can you say amen? The greatest study on the Pentecostal church is in the Word of God. And when I want to know what God requires of me as a Pentecostal believer... And as a Pentecostal preacher, I go back to this Bible. I find that pattern that's already set. I follow that. And I am what God has called me to be. We can see it all through the Bible. The setup and the type 
Amen. The structure of the Pentecostal church, just the way God intended it to be. And one of the greatest uh, types of the order of that church, I, I feel the presence of God here this morning. Amen. One of the greatest uh, types of that order is found in these feasts that God spoke to Moses about 1,500 years before Calvary, 3,500 years prior to you and I tonight. 3,500 years ago, 900 years prior to the invention of the cross, God spoke, amen, to Moses, and He said, I want you to tell this people that there are certain feast days that I want them to commemorate. Now, they didn't fully understand what all they were being involved with and what uh, what was taking place there. But what was happening, God was using these feasts for three things, to promote national unity, to keep God in the minds and on the hearts of the people, and then thirdly, to set up in the Word of God and to bring that people into a type and an order of His Pentecostal church. And the amazing thing about it is, in every type, in every point of order, you can see Christ being demonstrated. I, I had a friend of mine told me some years ago, he, he, he asked me, he said, I don't know exactly what to do about it. He said, but I want to share this with you. He said, I've got a couple in my church that uh, some way or another, they've gotten off on some wrong track and said they're, they're saying and they're telling other people that, that we don't praise Jesus, that uh, he's, he's not the main one in the church now, that we're Pentecostal and, and it's all Holy Ghost. And they said, they walk around saying, we love you, Holy Ghost. We praise you, Holy Ghost. You don't praise Jesus. Everything's the Holy Ghost. I told him then and he found it to be true they tear up that church by exalting something other than Christ. Without Christ, there'd be no Pentecost. It's all about Christ. Amen. And the first thing, the Holy Ghost died when He came. He bore witness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as a Pentecostal people. We exalt the Son. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Can you say Amen. Pentecost established in and upon Christ. We see it in the feast days here. Now the first feast that God told Moses that they were to commemorate was the feast of the Passover. Though they didn't understand exactly uh, this feast, they understood it as far as they knew to be a time when God had, had told, instructed Moses they were going to commemorate a time when God told them, going to deliver you from Egypt and said, I want you to tell the head of every house to take a lamb without spot or blemish, roast the lamb, take the blood of that lamb, strike it on the lintel of the doorpost. The Passover therefore signified two things, the blood and the lamb. The blood that went over the doorpost was their covering and their immunity against the judgment of God. But that lamb pointed approximately 1,500 years down the line to that spotless lamb. John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This lamb said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The feast of the Passover, amen, signified and symbolized Jesus Christ as the Savior of the church. My God, somebody raise your hand and say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God told Moses, amen, when you they commemorate this, they're to commemorate the feast of the Passover. 
He's setting up an order here. And the first step in this order is to recognize Christ as the Savior and the Redeemer of the church. Without Christ, there can never be a Pentecost. And this feast of Passover gave a picture of Jesus as the Savior and the Redeemer of the church. Though they didn't realize that. Thank God we know it today. And I can look back on that. And it just says to me, every time I read it, it says, Preacher, you're not wrong. You're right when you believe and preach what you're preaching. Woo, hallelujah. Thank God. Jesus is the Savior of the church. It begins with Christ. And thank God Almighty it ends with Christ. Hallelujah. It was the responsibility then of the head of every household. Amen. Tradition. Jewish tradition tells us it's a responsibility of the head of every house to make known to the family the meaning of this Passover lamb. It's the same way today. Amen. You and I, as the head of the house, men, as the high priest of that household, that house is set up as the church. And it's our responsibility to present to our children, like we were talking about this morning, the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and He's Lord of the church, author and finisher of our faith. The first thing the Passover says to us is that Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. And it pictured Him there as Savior. Then the next feast that they work to commemorate is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. He is the Passover Lamb. And now He's the Unleavened Bread of Heaven. Though they didn't realize it, they're going to picture this Jesus here as the Sanctifier of the church like we talked about last night. Hallelujah. He's not only Savior, but He is Sanctifier. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to purge the house of all the leaven here and unless otherwise specified, Leaven is a type of sin. And so they had to purge that house of all of the leaven. This pictures Jesus not only as Savior, but as sanctifier. I'm glad today that sanctification is a part of this gospel. And we're not off track when we preach it. Some may look at us funny when we say the word. But God has a church, and it's a sanctified church. And it's a glorious church. Jesus is Savior, and sanctifier of this church. Hallelujah. He is the unleavened bread of heaven. The sanctifier of the church. Jewish tradition tells us that the head of that house to commemorate and to make it real sanctification in that home. They said that in that little Jewish family, that mother would go through that house and would clean that house top to bottom. Every nook and cranny. Scrub the walls and floor. Clean that house. And she would purge that house of all the leaven that was in the house. She'd get rid of it except for one little pinch of leaven. She would hide it in the folds of her garment. And that mama would walk through that house and she would pitch that leaven in a hidden place in the house. Well, dad knows and the children know that it's time to go through a little routine that they do every year to make this a sanctification and to purge this house of sin. Daddy takes a candle in one hand, Jewish tradition says, and a feather, if possible, the feather of a dove in the other hand. He takes that lighted candle and that feather of the dove with those children 
children around his knees and he goes through that house. What's he looking for? He's looking for the living, which is a type of sin. And with that lighted candle, he shines it on the living. And with the feather, he scoops it up. Now that lighted candle is a type of the Word of God and the feather is a type of the Holy Ghost. So Dad, the head of that house, goes through that house with the Word of God and the Holy Ghost and he purges that house of all the sin. And it says to us today that not only is Jesus sanctifier or Savior, but He is sanctifier of the church. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Raise your hands and praise Him this morning. Woo! Thank God. Amen. So we're not way off when we preach sanctification, are we? I like preaching of sanctification. I love that message last night. Thank God. We're not crazy to believe God will purchase and cleanse us and sanctify us. Make us holy. That with the Word of God and the good Holy Ghost, He'll purge and cleanse this tabernacle from all sin. That says to me, I don't have to sin. I don't have to lie. I don't have to sin a little every day. Because Jesus is not only my Savior, He is my sanctifier. If He's not sanctifier, then He's nothing to us today. He is sanctifier. He has to be. Because if this church is going to be a type of Christ, it must be a holy church. This is why God would tolerate no variations from the divine pattern. Because this church is a representation of the Son. It must be a holy church. It must be a sanctified church. To let it be anything else than that would make us an awful misrepresentation of Christ. But He saved us to sanctify us and to fill us with the Holy Ghost that we might express the character and the nature of God. Hallelujah. No, God never saved us just to shout and have a good time like we've been having around here. But He saved us to purchase us. Amen. That we belong to Him. He can sanctify us holy and then fill us with the Holy Ghost. That's the reason we're saved. To be filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus is Savior of this church. First and foremost. He is sanctifier. And then the next thing God said to Moses... You're to tell them to commemorate is the feast of the first fruits. I do know that the feast of first fruits is an absolute type of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what really stands out to me here in the feast of first fruits, you have Christ the Savior, Christ the sanctifier in the unleavened bread. And when you really look at first fruits, you see Christ as Lord of all that we possess. It was in this feast of first fruits that the tithe of the field and the harvest was brought to the priest. Therefore, the ministry and the work of God was always supported. They didn't have to borrow from Egypt. They didn't have to call on those of the land. But by following the ordinance that God had set forth, that church and that work was supported. When we worship Christ as the first fruits of God, and we write that time check, we're exalting Him, and we're lifting Him up, and it supports the work of God. He is the Savior, He is the sanctifier, and He's the sole support of the church. If Christ can't provide it, my God, we don't need it. But if we need it, I'm telling you, He will provide it. Hallelujah. 
they would go out there, those priests or those farmers. Old Testament tells us and tradition tells us that they would throw through three hoops or rings out there in the field. You can see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Whatever came up inside of those three hoops or rings, that was the tithe. It wasn't for human consumption. It immediately went to the priest, to the temple. If it didn't go to the temple, then their crop was cursed. Amen. When it came time to harvest that, we can also see a type of Christ in the harvesting and the gathering of this uh, harvesting tithe. We can see, tradition tells us, the farmer going out there and the priest with him. They wait till the sun begins to set. He asked the priest who weighed down the line. Fifteen hundred years later will be the very ones to testify when Christ is cut down. They'll bear witness against him. That old farmer says, has the sun set? And the priests say, yes. They bear witness. The sun is set. You can thrust the sickle in and harvest your grain. It is at that time, as the sun is setting, that that farmer thrusts the sickle in and he cuts down that grain, the tithe, the first fruits of his field. Ladies and gentlemen, 1,500 years later, the priests are bearing witness against Christ when he's cut down. And hear me, the sun hides its face. The earth is dark. I want to tell you, Christ is Savior. Christ is Sanctifier. And Christ is the first fruits of God in the support of the church. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. He saved that church. He sanctified that church. Then He said, I'll be Lord of everything everybody possesses in the church. The house said God spoke to him this morning, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun. We was talking about that $15,000 for the project in Argentina. God spoke to him and said, it's here. Sure, it's here. Sure, it's here. The problem is, a lot of folks never recognize that God didn't give them what they have. For them to hoard it, he put it to them so he could get it through them. Sure, it's in this church. Sure, it's in this church. You run yourself crazy and work yourself to death trying to accomplish by carnal means what a good move of the Holy Ghost can bring out of the hearts and the pocketbooks of those people. Amen. I was so glad. I'm telling you, it helped me over a hurdle. I had Brother Clinton several years ago at a church I was pastoring. And they were good people, but every time you wanted to, I don't care what it was, you, you wanted to do a little something, the first thing they ask is, what can we sell to eat? I'm not telling you you go to hell for having a fundraiser. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you do, you're settling for less than what God wants you to have. You have to do that. Amen. If, if you don't follow the divine plan and ordinance of God. He came through there. I didn't know he was going to do that that night, but I asked him a question. I said, what do you think about doing these things? Well, he got up there and told on both of us. Of us. He got up there and said, my good friend asked the question. I just answered him. And he said, I told him, you haven't touched the resource of this church and there's no way you can accomplish what God has called you to accomplish by selling hamburgers, hot dogs, and chickens. Amen. But he said, it's in there. It's out there. And I look in this Word of God and I find where God made it to be so. I said, God made it to be so. We should never have to run to that sinner out there and ask him to support what God Almighty has called into being. If we are the church, we can trust God for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that. Amen. I believe that. You can get in trouble preaching it, though. Amen. Amen. He's Savior. He's Sanctifier. And He's the first fruits. 
Amen. You don't tithe. You're not only robbing God, you're defaming the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're denying Him His rightful place and lordship in the church. You're blaspheming Christ when you refuse to allow Him to hold His rightful place by exalting Him as the firstfruits of God and of men. Hallelujah to God. Well, He's the Savior. He's the Sanctifier. And He is the firstfruits. And then He is the Holy Ghost Baptizer. I don't know that Moses didn't understand everything, but I believe if he would have, there might have been a little phrase in there that said, and Moses shouted before the Lord. <laughs> if he'd understood then what we understand today about what was taking place and what God was setting up, I do believe he'd have shouted the step. Amen to God. And God said to him, said the next thing we're gonna, you're gonna, they're gonna commemorate is the feast of Pentecost, which comes 50 days after the waving of the first fruit. Isn't it significant that 50 days after the waving of the first fruits, which is Christ, 50 days after that day of Passover, He came forth, or they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 50 days after the waving of the sheep, He said, we're going we're gonna to have a meat offering. Now we're getting to the meat of what God called us to be. He said, it's going to be a meat offering, and this is going to be the feast of Pentecost, 50 days after the waving of that sheaf. It's pointing down the line to when Jesus, amen, fulfills the promise that He gave to His disciples. Tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. 50 days after He was raised up and waved before God, the Holy Ghost fell on Him in the upper room and fulfilled in every detail and way that type that was foreshadowed at the Feast of Pentecost. God is setting that church up. Now, this Feast of Pentecost excites me. It's a feast that brings in so many types and similarities of the Holy Ghost. You have fine flour. You have, uh, you have oil. You have fire. And here you have leaven, which is specified not to be sin, but to be life. Life, fire, oil, amen, fine flour. All of them types and products of the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Here's what I like about this Pentecostal church. And this is what God was saying to them at the Feast of Pentecost, or rather saying to us today as He set up this order 3,500 years ago. Now, you're going to make it the meat offering here is fine flour. Do you know what fine flour is? How many biscuit makers do we have here this morning? Got a few. Amen. Fine flour. It, it comes from grain that has lost its individual identity. It's been crushed. It's been broken. And it's ground. And then when you scoop up that fine flour, you can't tell what it was before it became what it is. It has no individual identity. And that's, oh my God, that's what happened to me when I became a part of this Pentecostal church. My God Almighty, I don't have an identity crisis. I'm not worried about my identity. I lost mine about 11 years ago. And I just became a grounded in part of the Pentecostal church. And the only personality and identity I have now is Christ. And the Holy Ghost has seen to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It's the black man. It's the Chinese. It's the Cuban. It's the Russian. I came to realize this in a greater way when I began to do missions work. 
I found out that there was people in other countries that I didn't have a thing in the world in common with them. Their culture was different. Their language is different until I met a Christian. And then it didn't matter what language they talked or what culture they came from. I found out I fit in just as good in their house as they fit in mine when they came over here to see me. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I am so glad to be a part of this church today. Thank God there's no big eyes, there's no little U's, there's no kings or paupers. It's just a church, and that's all it is. And it's exalting Jesus Christ and making Jesus real to a people that's lost. Fine flour. Amen. Mingled with oil. That oil is a type of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That oil makes it able to work and function. Bacon with leaven. That's life. Amen. Fire. Applied to that. Thank God Pentecost is a religion on fire. But it's bacon with leaven. It's life. Jesus said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. They wonder why we shout. Why we get excited. It's not all in the emotion, but it's a part of it. When it's like a fire shut up in your bones, something's got to happen. I said, something has got to happen. It is alive. God never gave us anything that was dead. What He gave us was alive. It's Pentecost. And it's alive and on fire today. Hallelujah. Pentecost. Grain harvested from many different fields. Lost its identity. It just becomes a part of the whole. Now, when they brought that loaf to be offered, that loaf had to be examined by the priest. That old priest was the eyes of God. He checked that loaf. If there was a lump, if there was a speck of dirt, if there was anything wrong, if it didn't have the right, if that loaf wasn't just right, they threw that loaf out. Get rid of this and go bring another. Do you know why? That just says to me God will allow no or tolerate no variations in His church. That loaf had to be in every way uh, ordered and had to follow the specifications that God Almighty had ordained. That lets me know God won't accept everything that talks in tongues, shouts up an aisle, lays hands on somebody around an altar. Amen. It'll be the church that He set in order, or it won't be His church. Amen. And if I want to be His preacher, I've got to preach what He set in order. And if you want to be His preacher, you want to be a part of His kingdom, you have to preach exactly what God said. That means laying aside our own theologies and our own little personal agendas and just picking up what God has already said, no, you don't have to run to the nearest bookstore and buy you a book to find out what God wants to do in this last day. It's already here. And what God has already done, God will do it again. I, I hear a lot of preaching about next level Pentecost. Has anybody else heard that? About climbing up there to the next level, some higher plane? Somebody asked me, said, what is your opinion on next level Pentecost? I said, for me, it just means dying and going to heaven or either going in the rapture when the trumpet of the Lord sounds. That's the next level. Amen. I said, if there is another level that's other than heaven, it's because we've fallen so far beneath the original that we need to climb back up to what they was when God baptized them in the Holy Ghost. I Amen. And there is no room for variations in it. It's just what God ordered. It's just what God ordered. Pentecost prophesied. Pentecost came. And Pentecost is here to stay. The devil can't destroy it. Now, there's something about Pentecost that we all have to come to realize. Pentecost, the name in general, has become a very popular thing now among religious crowd. I was watching... 
I hate to admit it, but I was. I was watching a, one of the a prominent Pentecostal preachers. I, I was curious, and I wanted to see what was going on. I didn't like what he preached, but I stayed there. I wanted to let's see what happened. I, it was nothing more than a circus, an entertainment. All in the world it was. Came down altar service time. They, well, there was no altar service. It was all just a outbreak. Everybody jumping around. They had noise makers, blue whistles. Some of them beating tambourines. Some of them, I'm not badly mistaken, I think it was beating a drum. Amen. All kinds of things happening. I want to tell you, if there was that much Pentecost in that building, that whole town would have been saved. I've, I've found in this Bible, God has an order. Everybody don't like it. Everybody's not going to follow it. When it comes down to who will follow and who won't, I'm afraid it's going to be the majority. When we reduce the church to a democracy by voting in and voting out, we somehow left the divine pattern and principle that God Almighty ordained. It seems to me that He's always worked through a remnant. There was 500 that saw Jesus Christ, God Almighty in the flesh Himself, when He ascended into heaven, when He gave the commission, the great, or He gave the great commission, told them to go back to that room in Jerusalem. 500 of them saw him. Amen. But you read the day of Pentecost, only 120 of them follow what he said and are baptized in the Holy Ghost. 380 found something else to do. That says to me, we are going to be a minority. We're always going to be the, the third left foot. We're always going to be a sore thumb. We're always going to be a thorn in the side. But God, listen, God, that's not to discourage us. God needs somebody here that don't fit the mold of this world. God needs somebody here that's different than everybody else is that will express a full-grown expression of Christ to a generation that hates Him. Pentecost is here to stay. It's not going away. It's not going away. It's not going to disappear. Amen. It's here to stay. America, for the most part, doesn't want it. But where people fall on their knees and begin to cry out to God for this church and this experience, he said was there. What is it that happens to them? It's Pentecost. You, you can't define people by how they act when everything's going good. I've found out that real Pentecost shines through when the pressure gets on. A lot of that hoopla and hype always falls away when the pressure comes. They either lose out or they seek God and get the real. That's all there is to it. One of, the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is last year, and I'm going to tell this in hush, but last year we uh, went to Cuba. Brother Turner and I, our interpreter from, I believe it's either Ecuador or Venezuela, Faust, we went into Cuba. We flew into Caracas, Venezuela, and we left there, went into Cuba to start the School of Christ. Well, you don't hear an awful lot about what's going on in Cuba. Uh, you don't get a lot of information out of there. So we didn't know if we would be able to preach, speak, if we would be followed around or what. But we went in there. We left our Bibles in Venezuela because we didn't want to get them confiscated. And we didn't want to jeopardize the Bible school uh, when we got there. So we were just kind of going to go in as incognito as, as you can be with a great big uh, American guy and, and fellow like myself following an interpreter around. <laughs> It, we kind of stood out, but we just made up our minds. We'll go in, get everything organized, and we'll go right back out. Well, we just didn't know. We got in there, and the overseer, Brother Skull, a precious man of God, came to us, and he said, whatever you do, don't tell anybody why you're here. He said, there, there might even be beautiful girls that will come up 
talk to you and try to find out what you're doing. He said, don't talk to him. I told him, I said, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Amen. I'm not studying that. I want to get here and go back home, do what we got to do and go home. Amen. But he said, be very careful in your hotel room, wherever you are. Don't, you just don't talk about it out loud. Very quiet and be careful. But we went to the place where we we're going to start the school of Christ. And we met with that group of Christians that morning. And they had a little building. And they were gathered together. And they said, we want you to come out and greet them. Well, both of us was nervous when we went out there and greeted them. Now, get this. I think we left on a Saturday. I found out on Friday before we left on Saturday that my wife, that we were going to have our third child. Eight year, one eight years old, one five years old. We got one on the way, and we just know it's going to be a boy. So I'm there in Cuba now, and I said, nobody but you getting this kind of a predicament. You, you'll be 40 years old before you ever lay eyes on him. That, all kind of crazy things went off. So we was real nervous and didn't want to do anything to jeopardize ourselves. We got up, and we greeted him, and we got out. And then the overseer said, we want you to uh, greet all the pastors are going to come together, and we want you to greet them this afternoon at 3 o'clock. I told Brother Turner, I said, you think we ought to do that? He said, well, we just have to tell him we can't do that. I said, I don't think we can either. We'll talk to him, but we can't preach. We can't do that. If we do that, we'll put everything in jeopardy. Well, we got in that little building. They knew we was coming. They filled that thing up. They come from everywhere. Feel that there's just one mass of humanity in there. And, and, and I, I looked over at him and just going to make sure that we was in agreement. We're not going to preach. No, we, we can't do that. And about that time, God convicted me just as if I'd stolen something. He brought the Scripture to my mind. And they love not their lives unto death. God spoke to me and said, If you rebel against this unction to preach, you have sinned against me in that call. That's what he said. Well, I just knew one thing. I knew we'd preach. Well, we preached. I preached. He preached. The interpreter preached. And you talk about an altar service. I didn't know they could do that in Cuba and get away with it. Well, really, they can't, I don't suppose. There's always little persecutions that break out when, when that church really gets on fire down there. And they, they, I'm telling you, my Lord, those Cuban people shouted. They spoke in tongues. I looked over here and there was one elderly lady. That elderly lady, she only had one arm. And on the end of that arm was an old gnarled arthritic hand. She had that hand raised up to heaven and spoke in the most beautiful, eloquent tongue. I called the partner over. I said, come over here and listen to this. We just stood there and listened. And I said to him, where do you suppose she learned that? Who taught that to her? You think she saw that off of the 700 Club or PTL or TBM? I said, no, sir. She fell on her knees and asked God to fill her with the Holy Ghost. And that's what took place. My God, if I've ever walked away from a place knowing that Pentecost was right and that Pentecost was real, my God Almighty, I know it's real and it's right and it's here to stay. What happened to them when they began to brave the persecution, come together and pray, God, for just a little time, loosen the collar off the church by that communist regime. The deeper I go in this Pentecostal experience, for the reasons set forth in the Bible, the more real Christ becomes to me. It's all about demonstrating Christ alive to a world. You know what my prayer is? God, don't make me, I'm not asking God to make me a better preacher. I'm not asking God for, you know, lately I've just been praying, God, let me be 
Pentecostal. Real Pentecostal. Not some false, fake imitation or convenient way. Just Pentecostal. And if I am, I'll be everything he wants me to be. Father, we love you this morning. And God, we're just so glad to be a part of this church. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are here today. God, I thank you for this church that you've given us, this Pentecostal church, worldwide, reaching around this globe. Oh, God, forming a kinship of many different colors and creeds and nationalities. Thank you, God, for this Pentecostal church. And, Lord, help us and challenge us to be in every way Pentecostal, not just in, just in the emotional aspect of it, but God, in every way, Pentecostal, full of the Holy Ghost, demonstrating Christ alive to a world that is lost. In Jesus' name, if God has touched your heart or challenged you with the message, would you just come and let's pray this morning, and let's just ask God, God, in every way, let me be Pentecostal. Oh, God, let me be just like the crowd that walked out of the upper room, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah to God.